Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning. It's so good to see everybody. Those of you that overcame the time change or forced jet lag, as I call it. Um, I was reminiscing this morning, we're out of the young kid phase, um, but when our kids were, when we had young kids, I hated this, this particular Sunday. We were talking this morning, why did they do it on Saturday night? Anybody have an idea? Like, why not, somebody said this morning, why not Friday at four? <laughs> Spring forward, oh, you get off work now. Um, that would make more sense, right? <laughs> but for some reason, Saturday, Saturday night was a decision long ago. We'll look into that sometime. Um, before we jump into the text this morning, just a couple things to, to uh, let you know about. Um, one is, for those of you that signed up for our new membership orientation luncheon, that'll be right after worship downstairs, usually about 10 minutes or so, kind of when we, when we end our service. If you um, are new to the church and you haven't been a part of that, or maybe you've been with us for a while, but you still haven't been a part of that, we still have a few spaces left, and so we'd love for you to join us at that. Um, number two is, Aaron already mentioned, we're going to be taking... Sorry, I'm actually a little out of breath because um, I had to run and get my notes that I forgot. Like, right as Lydia was praying, I'm like, I don't have my notes for today. Um, uh, we're going to be taking of the Lord's Supper. And there's, there's two things that Jesus said to do to remember him. And this is something that, we've been do, that followers of Jesus have been doing for 2,000 years. One is to take of the elements of communion. We'll be really explaining why these are significant in our text today. The second thing he said to do is to be baptized, representing the new life that we have in Jesus. And this morning, I actually got to meet with several young people who are desiring to be baptized. And some of you don't know this, so I'll let you in on a secret. This little alcove right here, there's a baptismal tank right there. Um, and it's, it, the, the water's heated. It's not on right now, but um, the water's heated, and it's a nice place. But we love to do baptisms, and we actually haven't done some in a while. So we're planning on having a baptism very soon. If you've never been baptized as a symbol of your faith in Jesus, um, this is a great time to do it. Uh, basically, I would say to you, why are you waiting? Um, but I would love to talk with you more about that if you're interested. So please, please let us know about that. Okay, commercials are done. Um, you know, we spent uh, a good part of last year walking through the gospel of Mark. And if you noticed our, our kind of title slide here, that's Israel on the right, the Dome of the Rock, and Seattle, of course, on the left, the Pacific Northwest. We spent a good part of last year walking through the Gospel of Mark because what we wanted to do as a church is we wanted, we wanted to know Jesus for ourselves. There's, there's a lot of caricatures of Jesus, how we think he was. Uh, many of us make Jesus in our own image. Uh, we wanted to hear directly from the, one of the four accounts of his life about who he was. So we spent a good part of last year walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we got to this point where the end of his earthly life is at hand, and so we stopped. And we said, you know what, let's pick, let's pick that up during the Easter season. We're heading into Easter is just a month away, Good Friday. And so Aaron launched us back into um, the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be finishing it out on Easter Sunday. And um, what we see kind of in the narrative that we're, so far where we're at in the story of Jesus' life um, we see that we're coming to the end, the end of the story of Jesus' life. And from our text last week, um, there's this interaction that Jesus has with a woman where she pours this perfume on him that's worth a year's wages. And Jesus says 
says this. He says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. One of the things I was trying to do as I was sitting in this text is put myself in Jesus' friends and family and followers' position. When Jesus said this, how would they respond? How do you take something like that? When you know somebody is about to die, how do you process that? Those of you that know me, you know this is pretty fresh for me. Uh, uh, just a month ago, I was sitting in my dad's hospital room, and I, and I got to sit while he was talking with the doctors, and he, he had cancer throughout his whole body, brain, abdomen, bones, everywhere. And the doctors were talking to him, and he said, I'm ready to go. And here I am, I'm his son, sitting across the room from him to hear that. It was, it was otherworldly. And there was these, there's these two competing tensions that I felt for him. In that moment, as I felt um, immense grief. This is my father, who I love, who loves me. But then I also weirdly enough, felt a type of peace, knowing that where he was going was going to be better than where he was. (laughs) And that's the reality of these two competing tensions. So how do you think Jesus' friends and family were processing what he says? Now, Jesus didn't have stage five cancer like my dad, right? He was a healthy, relatively young man. And so when he said this, it carried with it the reality of the circumstances that he was in. People didn't like Jesus. Political leaders didn't like him because he was a threat to their kingship. Religious leaders didn't like him because he was a threat to their authority. How did they process what Jesus was saying? You know, on one hand, I don't think you can ever fully process something like that. I'm still processing the fact that my dad's not here. Many of you understand what that's like. On the other hand, as the text ended where we left off last week, Someone was planning to kill him. Like there was a plot. And the the same person that was planning to have him handed over to be killed was hearing what Jesus was saying. He was in the room. He was going to be responsible for this. So we see in this turning point in the story that the woman who poured out this perfume on Jesus, she gave all that she had because of her devotion to Jesus. And then Judas, well, on the flip side, Judas gave up on Jesus because of his devotion to himself, because of his devotion to money. So contrasting pictures there. And Aaron excellently pointed to the comparison last week of, the, of how the women's events pointed to what was still to come with Jesus. So that's where we're going to pick things up this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. Verses 17 through 31. If I was to give a title to this, which I did, (laughs) I call it Covenant of Grace. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, but a covenant is the promise of God to save people from sin through Jesus. The covenant of grace. It's something we don't deserve. We didn't earn. It's entirely a work of God. 
something he promised to us, the covenant of grace. So hold on to that. We'll be seeing how that comes into play here. Let's read together verse 12, chapter 14. This picks up right after this scene with the woman and where we see that Judas is going to be betraying Jesus. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house as he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, in what Aaron guided us through this uh, last week, and what we see here this morning, we see this strong theme of Jesus knowing. Like he knows exactly what's going to happen. This has happened earlier in the narrative when Jesus had made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And how did he get there? He was riding on a colt a donkey. And how did he get the donkey? Well, he did something similar with his disciples. He says, hey, go into the city. You're going to find the donkey here. The guy's going to give it to you. And you would think, did Jesus set this up beforehand? Maybe, I don't know. But either way, Jesus knew what was happening and how it was going to happen. And so this points to something. It points to his divinity. Later on in the story, we're going to see his humanity. And you know, one of the things I think that we need to, to remember in this is as much as we might be surprised at the events happening around us, God is never surprised. He's never surprised. He may be disappointed. He may be joyful. But he's never surprised. This is, it was true then and it's true in your life now. When you sin or when you obey him, He's never surprised by those actions. He's not caught off guard. Jesus knew what was happening. So now what? <laughs> this meal's prepared. But what did Jesus just said? I'm being prepared for death, for burial. How do you go about having a nice meal when everything seems to be pointing to death? Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out, I can't eat. Now, some people, it's the opposite. They eat tons. I guess I'd rather have my problem than yours. But. <laughs> but no matter how you cope, right? In this moment, how do, you, how do you sit down and have a Passover meal together? The Passover meal is meant to be centered on the faithfulness of God, and how he delivered people, the, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt thousands of years earlier. And not only how he delivered them, but how he preserved them. You all know, maybe you don't know, there are many, many people groups in the Middle East that don't exist anymore. They did exist back then, but they don't exist anymore. They were wiped out through wars and over time with famines. And yet, the people of Israel were preserved. And so Passover is a reminder of that. So can you imagine you're sitting having Passover meal with Jesus, reminding the faithfulness of God of preservation and promises under the cover of death, of what Jesus is waiting for. So they sit there, and it says, uh, picking up in verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. 
while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were sad, and then one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Even Judas said that. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who drips, dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now we read this after the fact, but you can imagine the disciples' surprise when Jesus announces that his betrayal is going to be an inside job. One of them. Now, when I was younger, I used to, to read this as the one that dips the bread into the bowl with him. I'm like, at that moment, was Judas' hand in the bowl? You know, don't know, but we know that communally, like there's a sauce being, that, that was there and people are dipping their bread in. It's just part of the kind of the, the way that they, they were eating. Wow, so I don't know about you, but at that point, my appetite would be gone. And I'd be looking at, like side-eye at every of my friends. We've been journeying together for several years at this point going, who, who is it? Who is it? So it says, picking up, it says in verse 22, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And then when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is the, again, this is part of the Passover tradition. Eating bread and drinking wine, even singing a hymn at the end. Oftentimes they would sing a psalm at the end of the Passover. And here in this last meal together, Jesus does something different. He takes what is known, what is common in the culture, the Passover feast, and he establishes for his disciples from then until now, all disciples, that they would participate. When they would participate in the bread and the cup together, they would remember Jesus. The old covenant that they had previously remembered about Israel and God's preservation and salvation out of Egypt, it, it wasn't gone away with. But now there was a new fulfillment, a new aspect to it, the new covenant that was being made known in Jesus. Something new. A commitment by God to any who would believe that through Jesus they would be saved. The old covenant was just for Israel. The new covenant was for all people. Not a physical saving like the nation of Israel experienced in Egypt, but a relational saving, a freedom from sin and bondage, from the things that keep us away from God, keep us trapped, keep us in, in isolation. And the, the most significant difference in these two covenants, again, is now everyone is included. But there was a hint of this even all the way back to Abraham, where God said through Abraham, through his people, all the nations would be blessed. So God knew from the beginning how this would play out. Jesus demonstrated he is God by how, he, how this plays out in front of his disciples. Now think about this. 
in the presence of Judas, Jesus is announcing this covenant. In the, in the presence of his betrayer, this new thing that would be for all people, this good news. Betrayal is the right word here, isn't it? While only one of them would be plotting his death, all of them would actually turn their backs on Jesus. We'll just read this last section together, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, he quotes Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That doesn't sound very good. So all of a sudden it went from, man, one specific person is the betrayer, but now Jesus is saying we're all essentially going to turn our back on him. But Jesus doesn't leave them there. He says this, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. What does that mean? It means he's not going to forget them, not going to reject them. That in his grace, he's still going to lead them. Now, Peter, he's one of my favorite characters. He's a very passionate guy. He declares, even if all fall away, I will not. <laughs> he's that guy, right? <laughs> in the middle of the room. I don't care about what one of these suckers are going to do. I'm not going to do it. And later on, we'll see this in, uh, as we walk through this. I mean, he, he draws a sword at one point to prove this. But truly, Jesus says, truly, I tell you. Now, Peter, you want to be in the spotlight? You want to be in the spotlight? All right, Peter. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Today, yes, actually, how about tonight? Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Not once, not twice, three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Yeah, we're with Peter. <laughs> but he wouldn't. He, he would do exactly what Jesus knew he would do. In fact, as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only disciple we even see present in Jesus' suffering and his death is John. So here's a few questions for us as we look at this text. All of these men experience the same thing. What's the difference between Judas and the other 11? I mean, they, Judas heard the same messages, saw the same miracles, but something in him turned against Jesus. What do you think it was? How about the others? While, while they didn't pull a Judas, they still all scattered as soon as Jesus was arrested. Is this just human nature? Fear? Like a fear response? Because what was once for them a pretty privileged posi position is now obviously removed. Like they'd seen the opposition against Jesus, but it didn't matter because Jesus was still in charge, still calming the sea, still healing people, still getting huge crowds of people to show up. But then all of a sudden, 
just like that, when that privileged position doesn't seem so privileged anymore. Well, all of us, right, we're prone to just bail, to kind of step back a little bit. I mean, there was a day uh, not too long ago, at least what I've been told by older pastors, where as a pastor, you were actually respected in culture. <laughs> now, when I introduce myself as a pastor in our country, I'm kind of like, how are they going to respond? <laughs> Usually they say, you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, I don't know what that means. But <laughs> so this is human nature, right? When, when, what, when what was once a privileged position isn't, all of a sudden we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not with that dude anymore. And while this section is, is part of a bigger story of Jesus' life and mission, it's important that we consider what it might say about us and our posture toward Jesus today. Sunday morning is an easy place to be a Christian, isn't it? Monday morning, not so much. Man, in this space with people that all nod and smile, we sing the same songs, hey, we're good. What about your workplace? What about your school? What about your neighborhood? We might even ask, as we look at this text, what makes a Christian? What makes a Christian? Is it saying, thank you, Jesus, after you win the Super Bowl? Is it tattooing a scripture on your chest? Is it attending church? What makes a Christian? How do we know? Judas participated with Jesus and everything for three years. Nobody ever got that kind of access from, for him from, or with him, and nobody ever will. Judas saw healings and miracles. And listen to this. <laughs> if you remember, Jesus, Judas even went on a mission trip. Judas even prayed for people and saw them get healed. But it didn't matter. In the end, Judas didn't really believe. How can we say that? Because if he really believed that Jesus was who he says he was, do you think he really would have sold him for 30 pieces of silver? No, he didn't believe. Here's the truth. Judas' own desires eclipsed his obedience to Christ. Judas' own desires eclipsed his... Ultimately, Judas goes, you know what? Money is more important to me. My comfort's more important to me. I'm more important than following Jesus. Judas' own desires eclipsed his obedience. Now, the others, they had the same experience as Judas, right? They, they experienced all the same things. But they still believed. Well, yes, they scattered. Yes, they failed at times. But the difference for them was they still had enough of an anchor to obedience in Christ. Later on, when given a chance to receive the new covenant of grace, they responded with humility, I'm sure some repentance, <laughs> Peter, and a desire to pursue the ways of Jesus. What did Jesus say? When I come back, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, I'm going to lead you again. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. I'm going to lead you again. This is not the end. So his disciples eventually got to recommit themselves to that following. 
And man, if you follow the, the trace of their lives, God used them mightily to start churches and to spread the gospel. So as much as we might be surprised at events happening around us or to us, Jesus isn't. Peter disowned Jesus, but Jesus kept on. The disciples didn't show up at his crucifixion, but Jesus found them after his resurrection. Judas and the others had him killed, but Jesus' last words on the cross were, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is never surprised at our disobedience. He's never surprised at our betrayal. He's never surprised at our doubt. But through it all, he forgives, he extends grace, and he gives us another chance to follow him into Galilee. So for us this morning as Christians, that's, I think, one of the primary ways we can respond to this. We can, re- we can remember that it is never too late to say yes to following Jesus. Ultimately, Judas would take his own life. So he never had a chance again after that. But that's not true for you and me today, this morning. You have a chance. You have a chance to say, you know what? I did disown you, Jesus. I did, I did reject you. I haven't obeyed you. I've been putting myself in place of you like Judas did, but no longer. Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you restore me? I want to follow you. This is a reminder for all of us. And so in just a moment, we're going to take of the bread and the cup, the thing that Jesus first instituted 2,000 years ago with his disciples. He invites us to participate together with today. We're going to take this together. Oftentimes as a church, we, um, we kind of come up whenever you're ready and do it. We're going to pass this out this morning. And so I'm going to ask you as you get the elements, the bread and the cup, to, to hold on to them. Don't take them yet. And then we'll take them together. But I want you to know, we don't just remember Jesus when we gather and take communion. We remind ourselves of who he still is today. This is not a like, well, that, that happened and it's past. No, Jesus is still alive. <laughs> he is still active. He is still leading. And he's going to return just like he did for the disciples. He's going to return one day for all of us. And my hope is that each person in this room will have said, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> and so today as we take the bread and the cup, this is for people who have said yes to Jesus, who have received the new covenant of his grace. If you need to refrain from it this morning, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then that's okay. But I hope that this morning you would you would place your faith in Jesus. So I want to pray for that and for us this morning, and then we'll have some folks come up and pass out these elements. Lord God, we thank you for your grace, your covenant of grace, that, that it, is a, it is a promise and a commitment to never let us go. When we're weak, when we fail, you still love us, And so, Lord, as we've been reminded of that this morning, as we take of your bread and of the cup together, we don't just remember you as if it's something 
that happened in the past, we are reminded that you are still working today. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.